That is our prayer, that during these weeks ahead, that God would, he would refine our hearts, that he would make us more like Christ, and that he would make us more generous like, like he is. And so we're praying, God, would you bring a heart of gold? Would you make a heart of gold in us? And, uh, and as it is good to be back. Uh, I was, for the 10 days, I was over in Israel in the, uh, in the Holy Land. Amazing experience there, but, uh, but grateful to uh, have that experience. And then to come back, and on and Friday, I was at the Waffle House celebrating a friend of mine, his birthday. That's how classy uh, we roll, and uh, we were celebrating a birthday, and, um, and I was sitting there talking with my, my friend, and then a, 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 an older gentleman came up, and he, uh, he, said, um, he said, welcome back from the Holy Land. He said, you're going to need it tomorrow. And I'm like, need it tomorrow? It's like, this is Friday, and tomorrow, it's not Sunday, it's Saturday. It's like, oh, he's talking about the Tennessee-Georgia game. <laughs> oh, he's talking smack. And so then I was like, ah, yeah, we'll probably, you know, probably need it. <laughs> so may, maybe that's why we won, because I went to Israel. I don't know. But I, I was thinking about a verse to start out this morning, and I was looking through the scriptures for a chapter and verse, chapter 27, verse 13. I was like, that would be a great place to start. But I didn't, I didn't do that to you. I didn't do that for you. Just having a heart of gold, I am. And uh, just leave that. Right there, no. Um, I, uh, I've got a, with this, with this series, I was thinking, you know, where does that phrase, heart of gold, come from? And so I went and did a little research, and Miss Tilly, my high school uh, liter literature teacher, would be real proud of me because I found out that it, it came from Shakespeare. And uh, it comes from, from Shakespeare, um, actually the, in Henry V, Act Four, Scene One, King Henry disguises himself as a soldier, and then under the cover of night, he goes down to the troops and he wants to find out what's the morale of his troops. And so he, he goes down among his troops and he asks a soldier, asks one soldier, he says, what do you think of King Henry? And that soldier said, he's a fine man with a heart of gold. I started to think about that and I was like, you know, when Jesus came and he put on, put on flesh, when, when Jesus stepped into humanity, he didn't come to find out what we think of him. He came to reveal who God is. He's not insecure and he's like, what do you think about me? And what do you think about me? And what do you think about me? He came to reveal who God really is and what we see in Christ, what we see in him is that he has this, this heart of, of generosity. There's this heart of generosity in Christ. In fact, when we, when we look and we, we, we see the story, one time the disciples are like, Jesus, they're like, if you just show us the father, then we'll see who God, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Jesus is perfect theology. You want to know how to think about God? Look at Jesus. 
And what we see in Christ, that's who, in fact, in Philippians chapter two, it talks about, it talks about how Jesus reveals himself in Christ. It says, how God reveals himself in Christ. It says, Philippians chapter two, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Chapter two, verse, verse six. It says, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And when Jesus took the form of a, of a servant, he wasn't disguising who God is. He was revealing who God is. That God is abundantly generous. This is what we see about God in Christ. God is abundantly generous. Generosity is not about how much or how little money you have. It's about the spirit behind it. Generosity is love in action, is compassion in, in action. Generosity is the spirit behind it. And so Jesus is generous in a lot of different ways. He's generous with his time. He gives his best and most time to people who were least powerful and marginalized. Jesus, he's generous with his attention. When he would talk to somebody, it's like they were the only person in the room. He's generous with his power in that he feeds the multitudes, but he heals people one at a time. He's generous with his invitation. He's like, whosoever would come. He's generous with his presence, and he shared meals with people who thought they were a million miles away from God. He's generous with his resources to the point where he gave his life, laid down his life. They didn't take his life from him. He laid his life down on the cross in the ultimate expression. The cross is the ultimate expression of generosity. I mean, John 3, 16, probably heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his son. God is a giver and the giver is good. God is a giver. He is generous. The point where Jesus is on the cross, he's, he's hanging there on the cross, and after he died, there was a Roman soldier, there was a soldier who looked and said, truly, this is the Son of God. And that man had seen people die. He was an executioner, but he'd never seen anyone die like this, who laid his life down with such grace and such compassion, such a gracious way, such forgiveness. He said, this has to be the Son of God. See, it is through it is through generosity and through sacrificial love, that's how an unbelieving world finds Jesus believable, is that they see generosity. They say, it's not of this world, because it's of this world to take, and it's of this world to put ourselves first. But Jesus lays down his life unto death because he loves you. And he forms his heart in us that we would be a people who would be generous like the one that we follow. He forms his heart in us. And what we see in Jesus is not just the heart of God, but we also see, we also see our own struggles and our own brokenness. In Jesus, we see, we see gratitude and we see contentment and we see trust and we see love, but then we also see our own brokenness and our own struggles with, with pride and with comparison and with coveting and with anxiety and with indifference. And there's a book called True Riches by the authors John Cortinas and Gregory Balmer. And listen what they write. They say, if we want to live the best, happiest, and most purposeful lives possible, we need to look to the teachings of Jesus in the Bible. Money was a central theme in many of his teachings and parables. This is consistent with the Bible as a whole, which contains around 2,350 verses pertaining to money, possessions, and our attitude toward them. 
Contrary to most of what we hear about money today, Jesus' roadmap for an abundant financial life was not to ensure that everyone would become well off. Rather, he taught about money to inspire people toward a closer relationship with God, whom he referred to as our Father. Personal finances was not an issue of following financial rules. It was about a dynamic relationship of trust with God, a journey toward the riches that are ultimately the most fulfilling. See, Jesus taught about money not because God needs it, but because God wants your heart. Because God wants our heart. That's the reason that Jesus taught about money. And as I've been reading through how much Jesus taught about money, I've just, it's just kind of exposed, even in my own teaching and preaching, how little I talk about it. And I think there's a couple reasons for it. One of them is that I realize that every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday. And somebody, even right now, is sitting in one of our campuses, one of our locations, in this service right now, and it's your first Sunday. And I, just, I don't know, I just kind of don't want that to be like the first I'm just telling you my own reason. I'm not saying that they're all bad, but I just don't want that like to be maybe their first experience is that talk about um, money. It's kind of like, you know, when somebody coming over to your house for the first time, you're like, so how was your colonoscopy? I mean, you just kind of like, just <laughs> kind of want to build a relationship before you venture into that conversation. You know, that's, and then there's, there's part of it, I think that is, it's like, I realize that we, and we encourage, invite your neighbors and your friends, and maybe there's somebody you've been inviting for a long time. And then the, finally that Sunday when they come, you know, it's like, well, conversation about money. And maybe there's also a reason in that um, they're like TV preachers who are just jacked up prosperity theology and, uh, and try to manipulate people to give so that they can have jets and all the bling and the fancy clothes and all that stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to be associated with that. And so I probably don't talk about it as much as I, and I know I don't talk about it as much as Jesus did. Jesus talk, talked about it a lot, and I realized this when we were over in Israel. We were sitting at the place, we went to the Mount of Beatitudes where it's, you know, thought, hey, it was right around this area where Jesus gave his first message. And we went up on the Mount of Beatitudes, this beautiful location, I mean, you can just see this beautiful spot in Galilee, and we went up on that mountain and we're sitting there and we're reading through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And as we're just sitting out there, I'm just looking around, I'm realizing like, this is such a beautiful setting. And I'm like, I'm so glad that Jesus came to Israel and not to the United States. Because we would have made like six flags over Jesus. We would have like, we would have already like, somebody had monetized it, like figured out how do we make money on this thing. But it's just this beautiful setting. And it gives you a sense, even there's like Capernaum, kind of the you know, home base for Jesus' ministry, small fishing village. It's just this rural, it's this rural area and where people were living, you know, kind of hand to mouth, blue collar area. People are just kind of trying to make ends meet. And it's from these, this group of people that Jesus has this conversation about money. He's, he pulls them up and he invites them up on this hill and they go up and he gives this very first message. And his first message just occurred to me because we're sitting on this hill and we're reading through these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, this beautiful teaching, this amazing teaching Jesus gives. And Rhea and I are just reading through it. We're reading, she reads a little bit and I would read a little bit and she read a little bit and I would read a little bit. And we're just going through this and I'm realizing how often Jesus talks about this. And right in the middle of the message, in Matthew chapter, chapter 6, right in the middle of that chapter in verse 19, Listen to what he says. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Matthew, Matthew chapter six, verse 19. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
What Jesus is saying is where your treasure is. If you, if you wanna know where your heart is, go look where, where your treasure is. Follow the trail of your, of your time, of your attention, of your thoughts, of your calendar, of your, of your resources, your, your bank account statement. And your checking state, checking account, your checking account statement, like and your and your credit card statement, it, it tells this narrative and this story of like what what where your heart is. Just follow the trail of all those things. Jesus is saying you can see where your heart is at. What Jesus teaches us is there's a powerful correlation between where we spend our resources and where our heart is. And so the question I want us to just back out and the question I want us to, to ask during this series and begin to process together is how is my relationship with my finances shaping my heart? How is my rela- relationship with my finances, with my resources, with my things, with my stuff, how is it shaping my heart? Because it's, it's shaping all of our hearts. But we're just, we wanna be intentional with this and going, how am I being shaped by my finances? And I think it's a timely conversation, especially with what's going on in the world, where, where the markets are down and, and interest rates are up and inflation is rising and recession is looming and there's all this panic and all this fear for us to, just to pull away for a conversation and go, go, God, how do you wanna move me from anxiety to trust? God, how do you want to how do you want to move me from from pride to gratitude? God, how do you want how do you want to move me from from indifference to love? How do you want to move me from from comparison to contentment? And that's what we'll be talking about over the next of the next few weeks. God, how do you want to grow a heart of gold in me? And He will do it. He will form generosity. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own dad. See, my dad came to Christ in the, in the late 70s and early 80s. He, he gave his heart to Jesus, and God changed his life. And what was wild is while I was growing um, physically, emotionally, um, mentally, my dad was growing spiritually. And so he began to grow in his faith. And a little bit about my dad's story is he, he grew up in poverty. He tells me about Christmas as a kid. He and his four brothers, and they would get orange. They got, or- they got an orange and some walnuts, pecans. And so that was how he grew up. And then over time, I mean, he's a hard worker. He went to the Marines, became a bridge man, building bridges. But my, my dad, was a, uh, he was a gambler. And, uh, and so he would gamble paychecks. And you can just imagine being a newlywed. It doesn't go over real well, being a newlywed and, uh, and gambling um, paychecks. And my mom wasn't really fond of that. And so, um, but it was around that time that he came to Christ. And when he gave his heart to Jesus, God, God changed. He changed his heart. God changed he changed his perspective, he changed his practices, and, and my dad became a generous person. He grew in generosity, and I remember as a kid, he would just, he would, he would give. If people were in need, he would help them out. If there were opportunity to serve or to volunteer, my dad would just, my dad would volunteer. He just had a way of putting, like, the way he cared for his, for his employees, for the, for the folks who, who worked for him. I just saw this heart of, heart of generosity. I remember as a, as a kid on, on Sundays before we went to church as a family, he would get out the checkbook and he would sit down and he would write a, he would write a check. And you know, a checkbook is, it's this little, it's this little rectangle kind of thing. I, I'm talking archeology span from, no, but it's like he would, and he would write it and it was an act of worship. Giving was an act of worship for him. And I saw this, this heart of, of generosity. And now my dad, and here we are, 40 years, 40 something years later, my dad's the most generous person I know. He went from, 
from a gambler to the most generous person I know. And it's, it's been a process. It's taken practice. And there are practices that he has in his life. But I, I see it even to say, we got back from Israel. We get back from Israel on late Sunday night. They had already left. They had already gone. They, were, took, up, they took off. They watched our kids for the 10 days that we were, we were gone. And then I guess by the time we, Sunday night, they, they had to leave. So they were gone. We came in got to the house, and uh, on Monday morning, I got up to go get in my car, and I got in my car to go to work, and I sit down in my car, and it's been vacuumed, and the car is clean, and it's been washed, and the gas tank was full, and my oil had just been changed, and I'm like, what in the world happened? It was, it's a Christmas miracle early. I'm like, this is, it's incredible, and then it hit, my dad did this. Like my dad, I'm like, he's, he's the most, he's the most generous person that I know. And I was like, I left in that moment. I was like, man, I, I want to go do this for somebody's car. Any volunteer? No. And I was like, no. at this moment, it's like, I want, because listen, generosity begets generosity. And that's what we're talking about in this series. Like how can generosity beget generosity in our families, in our hearts, in our workplaces across middle Tennessee, that God would do a work of generosity and he would create a heart of gold in us, that it would become contagious and begin to spread. And so we're going to talk about today, which is real practical. How do we move? How do we move in generosity? And how do we move from pride? Because I believe pride is the number one obstacle that keeps us from being generous. Pride to gratitude. How do I move from pride to gratitude? Because pride is a preoccupation with self. Pride is a self-focus. Pride is something that we all struggle with. We all struggle with. And so pride is, pride, is when we treat, um, <laughs> pride is when we treat life like it's a movie about us. And other people are like background characters. God's a background character and life is, a, and we don't want to admit it, but pride is when we become the star of, of our own stories or the hero of our own stories. And, and, and but the thing about it is God refuses to be a background character in our stories. Like when we step back and we look at it, we realize God is the director, he's the producer, he's the screenwriter, he's the, he is the star of the story. And we find our place when we put him in his rightful place. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's like when we seek God first, all the things will be added. But how many of us, we run around and we're trying to get all the other things. And so we're running from thing to thing, trying to find the things when God's saying, if you'll put me first in your life, I'll take care of things. That life makes sense when we get the order right. And pride brings ourselves to the center of the story. And so how do we move from pride? How do we move from, from being preoccupied with self? It's humility. It's humility. James said it this way. He said, he said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This verse, that's, that's when you think about it, that God actually opposes the proud, that, there's, that God will work in opposition because he can't bless pride. Like God just, he can't bless pride. But he says that when, we're, when we humble ourselves, that God gives grace to the humble. How many of us want more grace in our life? Yeah, I want more grace. God's saying, I give grace to the humble. So when we humble ourselves, we give room for God to, for God to bless us. We become candidates for the favor of God. Because what pride says, pride says, it's about me. Pride says, look at what I've done. Pride says, look what I'm entitled to or what I deserve. Pride, pride focuses on self. And what C.S. Lewis, what he says about pride, listen to this. He says, he says, pride is the spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love, of contentment, or even common sense. 
Pride says, I've got this. I'm in control. I own it. I don't need anybody. I'm going to do it my way. John Stott says, pride is your enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. And the incredible thing, when you read through the Bible, what you find, there are a lot of people and a lot of stories of men and women, of individuals and of leaders where pride was their downfall. I think about King Uzziah. He became king when he was 16. Came came when he was 16 and things were looking really good. He had this mentor, spiritual mentor, Zechariah, and things were going good for Uzziah. In fact, in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 26, 5, it says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And as a result, he acquired wealth. He was doing really well and there was more power militarily and politically. And then things changed. In verse 15, it says, his fame spread far for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Many a man or woman, their character is tested with adversity. But you want to really see what somebody's made of? Give him prosperity. And when he, became, when he began to prosper, he became strong. And he stopped seeking God. And that spiritual accountability, that mentor, he stopped going to them. The most dangerous kind of person in the world is a person without accountability. And so he resisted that accountability and ultimately it led to his downfall. And why, when you trace it back, it was because of pride. Because of pride. Pride is your enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. So how do we grow in humility? How do we grow in gratitude? How do we grow in generosity? I wanna give you three practices. If you wanna get good at anything, you need to practice. So let me give you three practices of how we practice generosity in our lives. And we're gonna take it from the Sermon on the Mount. And the first one's gonna, we're gonna go back and look at 6, 1, Matthew 6, verse one. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. <laughs> Little sound effects in the Bible reading today as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. If you want to grow in generosity, the first practice is practice giving secretly. Be a blessing bomber. Stealthy. I mean, we're, we're not looking at what Jesus is doing here. You see what he's doing. He's trying to liberate us from the praise of men. He's trying to liberate us from a man-pleasing spirit that only does things for people so that we can be seen in a certain kind of way. Jesus is trying to set us free. We talk about pride being a cancer. He's given us a cure, and it comes through giving secretly. He says, don't announce it with trumpets. In other words, it's not, hey, everybody look at me. Because if you give for the approval of man, if you give for what other people would think of, you better enjoy it when you get it because Jesus is saying, you just got your reward. But if you give secretly, he's saying your father in heaven, he sees you, he will reward you. See, it is natural for us to want to be seen. That's why people say, I just feel so seen right now. It is natural for us to want to be seen. It is supernatural for us to, to live for an audience of one so that when we know that God sees these things and we know that he will reward, God 
rewards secret giving. Jesus tells us that. God sees. Um, and we're going to be tested. In fact, you're going to be tested this week. You don't have an opportunity to practice this week. Um, all you need is a donut. All you need is a donut and another person and a knife. All you need is a donut, another person, maybe a friend, maybe a spouse, loved one. You want to test two, just give two kids. Give them a donut and, not, and tell them to share it. Because in that moment, when you share a donut, and this is a five daughters donut, this is um, chocolate sea salt. That's the most bougie sounding donut I have ever heard in my, in my life. Lots of layers of goodness going on in this thing. Um, and so you give two people and you're like, hey, y'all gonna, gonna share? Yeah, we'll share this donut. And in that moment, um, you know the question. Hold on. The question you gotta ask in that moment is what? When you're sharing a donut, what's the, what's the next question? What's the next question? Who gets the what? Who gets the bigger half? In our family, we got a way around this. Here's what you say. You say, if you, like one person gets to split it, the other person gets to pick. But life doesn't always work like that. Oftentimes we find ourselves with the opportunity to serve somebody else, to give somebody else a piece of dough. So the question is, who am I gonna give the bigger half to? Am I gonna get the bigger half or am I gonna give the other half? Don't look at me all spiritual. Y'all know we make these choices all the time. And here's what... <laughs> I'm being tempted right now. Mm. Your glaze will never be on my lips. Never be. That's good. There was some chocolate icing that just came out of that. Mm. So we have choices to make. I forgot where I'm going with this illustration, but. <laughs> and the choices, and so here's what he's saying. He's like, here, hold on. I can't do this without sharing. Come on, this is the side I ate from. Don't do that, that one's you. That's right there. Yeah, absolutely, you got the pork. Yeah, you need a knife too? You gonna share it with somebody? No, you're just going straight in. All right, that's good. Love it. That's good, huh? <clears throat> so we get a choice to make. Who do, we give the bigger, who do we give the bigger half to? Now, what he's saying, he's saying, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. In other words, like, don't even take time to be impressed with yourself. See, what happens oftentimes is we go to serve in life, and then we're like, oh, I'm giving the bigger half to them. Well, let me Instagram this. Hashtag servant leadership. <laughs> Hashtag servant life, right? We think like, I, like I'm a, and, and we want to serve people as long as we're recognized for it. But the true test of servanthood is when we're treated like a servant. When we're treated like a servant, that's when servanthood is tested. And generosity is saying, I'm gonna give the bigger half to somebody else and I'm not even gonna take, take a moment to celebrate myself because it's part of character like who we are. He's saying, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. 
He says, don't be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites in Greek theater, right up close to Nazareth, there was a place called Sephora, a town that, they, that had been built about the time when Jesus was a boy. Joseph was a carpenter. Joseph was probably building this town down from close to Nazareth. And Jesus would probably apprentice with his father. And Jesus knew Sephora. And in Sephora, there was a Greek theater. And so Jesus was familiar with theater. He took that word hypocrite, which was a word that meant actor. And he's like, don't make your giving a performance. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the actors who everything they do is for show. It's like give secretly. And when we give secretly, when we give the bigger half, when we give secretly, he said, your father will reward you. Here's what I know. God knows where to get more donuts. God knows where to get more donuts. He knows a guy. God's got all the donuts in the world. And when we give secretly, we give room for God to bless us and reward us. And sometimes it's materially and sometimes it's spiritually and sometimes it's relationally, but he is a rewarder and he is the reward. And so giving secretly makes room for God to bless us. It also prides a spiritual cancer and giving secretly is part of the cure. Second, practice gratitude publicly. Practice gratitude publicly. Pride is the belief that everything I have comes from me. Gratitude is seeing that every good thing in my life can be traced back to the hand of God. And I wanna get really good at seeing the hand of God in my life. And that comes through, through gratitude. James says it this way, he says, he says that God is the giver of every good, and, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. He's saying we can trace back the good. Pride says, pride says I did this. Gratitude says God did this. Pride says, look how great I am. Gratitude says, look how great God is. Pride says, I deserve this. Gratitude sees life as a gift. Pride says, I'm entitled to it. Gratitude says, I am in, I've, been, I've been entrusted. Pride, pride says, I own it. Gratitude says, I'm a steward. Pride takes the credit. Gratitude gives thanks. You know, the first thing I did when I saw that the car was all vacuumed out and it was all clean and smelled good, gas tank full, Oil been changed. You know, the first thing I did, made sure I was in the right car. That's the first thing I was like, wow, this is my car. But then I was like, you know what? I, I, I called my dad and I, I said, thank you. Because I needed to. Like I needed to express gratitude. It is in our hearts to give thanks. It's why there are people who don't even believe in God who thank the universe. Because we, 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 we need to give that thanks somewhere. But here's what we also know is that unexpressed gratitude is experienced as ingratitude. And so our hearts long to give it. And you know what, my, my earthly father, he, he was grateful to receive it. And we have a heavenly father who is, who is grateful to receive it too. God is, God is not just an impersonal, he is not an impersonal force. He is a father, he is a person, he has attributes, he has character, he has a personality, a way of being. And so when we give gratitude to God, God loves to hear it. And so we say, thank you, God receives it. And when we give thanks to God, for his generosity, we are more able to see the good things in our lives as a result of his hands, and we're more likely to be generous like him. Jesus, when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you see one of the primary emphasis that you see in the Sermon on the Mount is that you've got a father in heaven who'll care for you. He says, your father sees you, your father loves you, your father provides for your needs, your father knows what you need before you even ask. Your father's a rewarder, 
And Jesus takes whatever our experience of our earthly fathers have been. He's saying, your, your heavenly father, is so, he's not just like a, a, a bigger version of your earthly father. He is, he is the perfect father. You have a father in heaven who loves you and who cares for you. And what Jesus is teaching this to, he's teaching your disciples who left their earthly fathers to follow Jesus. And Jesus knows what it's like to put his dependency on a heavenly father because Jesus lost his earthly father. If you've lost your earthly father, if your earthly father has passed away, you need to know Jesus knew what that was like. Joseph had, had died before he began his public ministry and Jesus knew how to express dependence on a heavenly father and how to live with that gratitude, with that thanks and how to be generous. And when we're generous, we look like our Father in heaven. So we practice secret giving, practice public gratitude. And then the third practice, if you're taking notes, you can write it down, is to practice investing eternally. Practice investing internally. Look at verse six. says, do not store up for yourselves, or sorry, verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth because it's bad. He didn't say it because it's bad. He says it's because, it's because it won't last. He said, eventually, Eventually we lose it, whether while we live or when we die. One of the two. But when we store up treasures in heaven, it's eternal. When we, when we put our resources toward what is eternal, toward what lasts. So you, you're storing up, we're storing up treasures in heaven when we invest in what matters most. And so when you serve God and serve other people, you're storing up treasures in heaven. When you stop to help somebody who's in need, you're storing up treasures in heaven. When you use your wealth to win friends for the kingdom, you're storing up treasures in heaven. When you, when you give to advance the gospel in the earth, you're storing up treasures in heaven. When you bring a bag of food to help somebody with food insecurity, you're storing up treasures in heaven. When you give $35 to help a refugee family in Egypt, you store up treasures in heaven. When you help buy dinner for a family that's grieving, it's experienced loss, you're storing up treasures in heaven. When you, when you, when you, when you give of your tithes and your offerings, you're storing up treasures in heaven. When you give toward Christ and toward his mission in the earth, you're storing up treasures in heaven. When you, when you give toward what's eternal, you're storing up treasures in heaven. Like, you can't, don't hear what I'm not saying, you cannot buy your salvation. You can't buy heaven. That comes through what Jesus has done for you. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not of work so that any of us can boast. It's not of work so anybody, anybody say, hey, you know what I gave? I'm going to heaven. Not that you would ever do that. Please don't ever do that. But you would say, look at what I gave. I've earned. You can't earn your salvation. You can't buy your way into heaven. If you could buy your way into heaven, Jesus would have never had to come. He laid his life down on the cross for you so that you could receive what you could not earn, what you could not buy. But he says, we've been saved by grace through faith. And it's because of our faith in Jesus that we handle our resources different than the world. Because we have been saved. And now through our resources, we can help other people experience eternal life and we can help other people experience up there, come down here through the way that we love and through the way that we serve. My dad says it this way. He says, you can't take it with you, 
but you can send it on ahead. But if we're going to have a heart of gold, it's going to take practicing. And we practice this week. Practice with a donut. You practice secret giving and giving the bigger half. We can practice public gratitude and saying thank you. And then we can practice giving toward what's eternal. And you do this, church. And one of the rewards of giving is we get to see what God does through it. And that's why we wanted to share this month's Dollar Club so that we can see what that's like together. Check this out. Hey everybody, I'm Ashley and welcome to this month's edition of the Dollar Club, our opportunity to give just $1 and see the amazing things that can happen when we all do good together. This month, we're sitting down with Felicia. Felicia has been a volunteer on our online team for several years now, but we recently heard her story and knew that we wanted to come alongside her and help in any way that we could. I actually was born with a rare medical condition called Marshall Syndrome, basically a deficiency in bone growth, eyes, ears, joints. I've had 15 surgeries before I turned 15, and I became a Vandy kid. Vanderbilt went on a worldwide study to figure out more about what was wrong with me and how they could help. Also had a lot of family trauma uh, growing up. Was abandoned twice before I was seven years old by my biological and my adoptive father. Just at a very young age, I, I learned a really unhealthy thing, and that was that maybe, maybe I was a mistake. Maybe God didn't mean for me to be here. Maybe I had to be useful to be valuable. I stepped into the doors of Crosspoint about 12 years ago, and I couldn't tell you anybody there at all. Like, I would just show up and sit in a row pretty sporadically, and I didn't want anything more than that. My mom met this guy and um, he loved me like his own and I got to have a dad for the first time in my life. Just a month or two after they got married, he died in a plane crash. I had a lot of anger and I had a lot of grief. The next thing I knew, people were bringing me meals and sending cards and just showing up for somebody that they didn't know and that just stood out to me. I was like, that's the kind of a Christian that I wanna be. Summer of 2017, I hit rock bottom. I had a car accident, and I broke my back. I broke all the bones around my right eye. It rocked my world because in a split moment, I couldn't take care of anybody else, and I couldn't do anything for anybody else. In fact, everybody had to help me. And going back to that lie that I believe, when I stopped and I allowed other people to help me take the next step and, and taught me more about the character of God, that God's grace was unmerited, unearned, undeserved, that I didn't have to work for it, right? And so it took me a long time and it took me a lot of people stepping into my story. And when I got baptized in 2017, I said, it's not about me at all. I just want to do good things for God, for a great God. My entire life mission now is how can I help other people step into who they were called and created to be. That's kind of evolved with my time of serving at Crosspoint. People were showing up online in different chats and different platforms that we had and nobody was talking back to them. We just decided, like, let's put together a team of volunteers that can help host those chats and answer questions and pray with people. It's been an incredible opportunity for us to connect with a lot of people that we would have never connected with. 
One of the things that I just truly believe about God is that it doesn't matter how hard life gets, he's on the other side of it. Uh, it's been a hard year. I found out that I have no hearing in my right ear and I can hear about 30% out of my left ear. I need a, like a custom hearing aid because I, I have such significant hearing loss. And as I navigate through that journey and I fit, you know, try to take the next steps into what I need to do to be able to live my life and be productive, I'm believing that God is bigger than all of that. I know God has a purpose to it all. Anything's possible, right? Hey! Do you know what's happening right now? Potentially. <laughs> well, so you know we have this thing called the Dollar Club, where once a month we ask everybody in the church to put in an extra dollar, pull that money together, find a need in the communities we filled, and go fill it. And in hearing your story, we knew that there was something that we could do. And just so with the cost of getting permanent hearing aids and your medical bills, we wanted to come alongside you in the way that we knew that we could. And we're just so grateful for the way that you give to this church of your time and your talent and the way you love people so well. So I have a check for you um, for $10,000 that will hopefully help with all of the medical expenses you have right now. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Never in a million years. <laughs> Did not see that coming <laughs> at all. <laughs> oh my God. That's so much. I love you. It's awesome. I'd love to pray for you. Would you stand with me if you can? I was in Athens uh, yesterday, not to bring the conversation back to that, but I was in Athens and there was a, there was a woman in a car that was driving down um, Lumpkin and um, she went well, Lumpkin Avenue and she said, she said, hey, she, and she, she, she started having a conversation. She pulled over the side of the road. She said, I, I serve with the online campus at, um, at Crosspoint. And she said, I live here in Georgia, but I serve with the online. She said, I'm on Felicia's team. And, uh, and so I love that, that, how God is using Felicia and our online team and reaching people. And some of you would say in places that, that where they really need Jesus, like Athens, Georgia, but in reaching people really around the world. And, uh, and it's because you give. And Felicia, thank you for sharing your story with us. And, uh, and I love what God's doing in and through your life. And I love what God can do when we all embrace generosity together. So I'd love to pray for that. Would you put your hand on your heart as we talk about a heart of gold? So, Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have demonstrated in Jesus what it looks like to love and to give sacrificially. Jesus, would you form your heart in us? We, would we be made like Christ as a church? And the way that we see people, and the way that we serve people, and the way that we handle our finances and our calendar, in the way that we give. Would you give us the humility to give secretly? Would you give us the reflex of gratitude to give thanks in all things? And would you give us the eyes of faith to see how to give toward what matters eternally? Would you stamp eternity on our eyeballs that we would be able to see with an eternal perspective 
and have a heart like yours to give where you call us to. Thank you that you are a father, that you see us and you love us and you will provide for our needs. And will we live with this even deeper sense of relationship and intimacy with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You guys have a great week. On your way out, you can pick up the bags in order to give to the food insecurity. We'll see you next week.